Lindsay. And I'm Sarah, and together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today, we are swimming upstream with river dolphins! Plus, another Patreon-produced fun flipper fact! So, sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. I am very, very excited to talk about river dolphins because this is a well that I know very little about. Um, And that's after I've done all of the research for today's episode. Uh, I still feel like I know very little about it. And I definitely knew even less about river dolphins prior to diving into the research for today's episode. What about you guys? How did you, uh, prior to reading our notes, our show notes, how did you feel about river dolphins? What did you know about river dolphins? What was your level of pre-podcast interest in river dolphins? I would say my level of interest was high, Mm -hmm. but my level of knowledge was very low. I've always been like, intrigued by them um and like i knew that they were tropical subtropical ish and i knew about more about the existence of the amazon ones because i know more about the amazon uh tropics than asian tropics um yeah but other than the fact that they exist and they're weird i didn't (laughs) know much (laughs) that's good Yes, I would say my feelings towards river dolphins are warm. Um, (laughs) But again, I don't know very much. Um, We have a couple of, like, we have some fun uh, fact Fridays about them, but you wrote those many years ago, and then I just have been sharing them. So I know very basics. If someone came up to me and was like, tell me about river dolphins, I'd be like, they exist, and one of them is pink. <laughs> and do you want to know about other dolphins? I feel like I was very similar to to you two prior to researching for our episode. Similarly, I was like, they are really cool. I knew what they looked like. Like the, mm-hmm. the again, I mostly the Amazon river dolphin is kind of like the picture that comes to mind when I think of an Amazon or when I think of a river dolphin. Oh. Apparently, when I think of the Amazon river dolphin. And so I knew that they were cool looking, that they had really, really long rostrums. And I knew they clearly lived in rivers because that's with their name. Great. It's another (laughs) one of those on the nose cetacean names. Love them. But not even just like compared to other dolphins that I know about, but just like in the cetacean category, I would say river dolphins and beaked whales are probably the two far extremes that I know very, very little about, but am super, super interested in. Unfortunately, as we are about to dig into in the episode, it is really, really hard being a primarily English-speaking Canadian to learn much about river dolphins at least to learn anything beyond surface level. It was very, very hard for me to find any peer-reviewed research on river dolphins of any species. Uh, It's certainly out there, but it's usually part of a study of looking at sort of like primarily just like either population dynamics or uh, something around you know, protection status is the two main subjects of river dolphin studies that I could find. Like, clearly they are at huge risk based on their habitat that they live in, um, because rivers are small. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And often used. Yes, exactly. And so that was pretty much, like, the main body of research that I could find. And while interesting, also hella depressing, and not exactly what I wanted to spend our whole episode looking at so uh the the top of the episode wanted to start with a shout out slash call to action to all of our listeners who are in either south asia or south america hello and if you know more uh, you probably do if you're listening to this podcast and you live in the areas where river dolphins live you most definitely know more than we know about river dolphins and we would really really love to learn um so you know i have a translation program on my computer so if anyone wanted to forward me like a spanish or or hindu spoken or not spoken Spanish written language peer reviewed article about them i'd really really love to read that i just can't find it on my own 
So that's my first step is river dolphins are cool. I really wanted to learn a lot about them. I learned as much as I could to prep for our episode today and uh, still feel like I'm swimming up short there. Wow. That was pretty nerdy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think that starts because the bulk of the time that I had to do research to prep us for today was actually spent answering what seems like it should be a very simple question, which is what dolphins are considered to be river dolphins? That's Mm. not a simple question to answer, as it turns out. (laughs) I mean, this seems to be kind of like a trope of ours anytime we talk about most categories of cetacean species. Mm -hmm. There's always debate. It's very confusing. Science is hard but also great. So keeping with, <laughs> keeping with that trend, uh, there's a lot of debate and a lot of confusion around classification of river dolphins. At the time we are recording this in October of 2020, there most, I don't actually, I don't even know, the majority, so that's not necessarily like a huge majority, but at least over 50% of the research that I could find agrees that there are four recognized living river dolphin species we're gonna get to the subspecies issue and a lot of the other issues around that so if four is not the number you were expecting don't worry lots of scientists agree with you this is just what i could come up with i think a lot of the confusion comes from the fact that first and foremost not all of those four species of river dolphins are related to each other so river dolphins are an example of convergent evolution Uh, We'll start by saying river dolphins are primarily now, in 2020, found in either South America or South Asia, as I mentioned earlier. And so in those two geographic locations, the various river dolphins that you can find there are not related to each other. So the Amazonian river dolphin is actually more closely related to oceanic dolphins that we would think of like the bottlenose dolphin than it is to the river dolphins in South Asia. And that's just because, you know, long, long, long ago, there were dolphins and Uh they were in the ocean and then they went into estuaries and then they went into rivers and then they became river dolphins. Hooray! And that happened in two different places at two different times. And now we have modern river dolphins. (laughs) So the four, again, like I said, I'm going to get into some of the confusion here. The four recognized in big quotation marks there. river dolphin species are. Uh, There are two in South Asia. There is the Ganges river dolphin. Guess which river it's in? (laughs) The Nile. (laughs) Is that right? Oh. That was awesome. Um, If you guessed the Ganges, you would be correct. And also the Indus River Dolphin, which is also in the Indus River. We're not super creative with these names, and neither are researchers. Now, here's the first point of contention. Both the Ganges River Dolphin and the Indus River Dolphin are subspecies of what is just ultimately called the South Asian River Dolphin, or Platanista ganactica. Gangactia? Gangactia. We'll go with that. Planastista gangactia. Latin's not my language I speak. (laughs) Neither does anybody else. That's fine. Thank you. It's dead. Hooray. But these river dolphins aren't. Also hooray. So Ganges river dolphins and Indus river dolphins are both subspecies of the South Asian river dolphin. And yet the Society for Marine Mammalogy considers them to be deserving enough to be recognized as two of the four living river dolphin species. I think some South Americans would probably take offense to that based (laughs) on the research I could find. Because moving on into the other two species of river dolphins, uh, as we've already named, one is the Amazon river dolphin. But if you really dig into research about the Amazon River Dolphin, also obviously the Amazon's really, really big. And especially when you think about the fact that Amazon River Dolphins don't just live in the river, the Amazon floods. Sarah, you can probably speak 
more eloquently to this than I can, because you do know a lot about the Amazon. Um, what happens when the Amazon floods, Sarah? Um, the, the plants that were on the land become underwater plants. <laughs> <laughs> she went to university for this, folks. No, she didn't. No, I didn't. Um, yeah, no, the, when the river floods, there becomes a lot more of the forest becomes underwater. Is that what you're looking for? Yes. Thank (laughs) you. Um, I also would have accepted that the, when the river floods, the habitat Mm. gets significantly bigger for any animal that was living in the river. Yes. Because it's not just the water that floods out. The land animal gets, the land animals in the river basin get less habitat and the aquatic animals get more habitat. They alternate. They alternate. Um, Which is why piranhas are not always dangerous to swim with. But that's not the subject of this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Not yet. No. So the Amazon, the very, very short version of that whole tangent, the Amazon basin Mm -hmm. for like the flooded environment is huge. If you look up a picture of South America and you look for the Amazon when it is at a flood season, um, it takes up like a country's worth of space Mm -hmm. in South America. It is a very, very, very very large river and then an exceptionally large river basin when it floods. So... That means that the Amazon river dolphin, the species Inia geophrenus, I think that's how we say that, it has a huge amount of territory available to it. So there are multiple recognized subspecies of Amazon river dolphin, but the Society for Marine Mammalogy doesn't recognize any of these subspecies as their own species the way that they do with the South Asian river dolphin. I don't understand the politics of that. Couldn't get a clear answer on it just the way that it is. But the Amazon river dolphin actually can be broken into between two and five subspecies. Lord. Gracious. <laughs> Including three subspecies, like the Amazon river dolphin being one, and they're often called the Bodo, which is just a great name. Side note. <laughs> so, um, so the Bodo, and then the Araguanian, again, my pronunciation is terrible, I'm sorry, the Araguanian river dolphin and the Bolivian river dolphin, all three of those subspecies of Amazon river dolphin don't have any geographic overlap. Um, They've Mm. become geographically isolated, primarily through waterfalls, which I think is great. Oh my god, a pink dolphin going down a waterfall? (laughs) Well, no, there's a Lisa Frank poster. They don't go down a waterfall, that's the whole point. Well, one of them had to at some point, that's how they got there. I just thought that was awesome. Um, but again, the Society for Marine Mammalogy doesn't recognize them yet. Uh, as of 2014 is the last time that any river dolphin subspecies categorization came up for debate in the Society for Marine which we've talked about in other episodes. That is a meeting that I want to be a fly on the wall for. <laughs> I don't think many other people do. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. Um, so we are currently at three, if you're keeping track, folks. We've got the Ganges River Dolphin, the Indus River Dolphin, and the Amazon River Dolphins, plural, because there's lots of them. They are the Bodo. And then finally, rounding us out to four, is the La Plata Dolphin, or also known as the Franciscana River Dolphin, which is a lovely name to say mm-hmm. either way you say it. They're great, also found in South America. So we've got two in South Asia, two in South America. And then uh, we really couldn't have an episode about river dolphins without acknowledging the extinction in our lifetime in 2006 of the Baiji, or the Chinese river dolphin, which was declared functionally extinct in 2006. And the last verified sighting of them was in September 2004. And I don't know, I don't, we haven't talked about this prior to recording, but like, I don't know about you guys, but I remember mm-hmm. that happening. And I mm-hmm. remember that being like such a, a powerful moment in my life of recognizing that what is now, unfortunately, something that is not so surprising, but was to me when I was the age I was in 2006, that like a species as big as a dolphin mm-hmm. yeah. and as loved as a dolphin can go extinct in my life. Yeah, like when other ones that I'd heard about in our lifetime had been like um, a little fish or like less 
charismatic things than a dolphin for sure Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a lot that's Mm -hmm. a lot so whether there's four or six or whatever how many species there are it's a little confusing but let's talk about generally the the shared traits of all these river dolphins even though they are evolutionarily distinct between the sort of the different groups um in the different river areas um so river dolphins in general are smaller compared to other dolphins uh they've evolved to survive in these warm shallow waters with really strong river currents at some points of the year depending on the the river flow volume uh they range in size though the um the smaller ones are the south asian river dolphins are about five feet or one and a half meters long and the Amazon river dolphins can be about eight feet or two and a half meters long and about 220 pounds or 100 kilograms. Um, so a pretty big size range, but still small compared to most oceanic dolphins. Like a bottlenose. Well, way <laughs> yeah. smaller than a bottlenose. <laughs> Which I definitely, I didn't have that in my mind prior to mm. recording today. I always thought, that, especially because they kind of look similar, even bigger maybe because they have such a bigger rostrum yeah their proportions are different big yeah no they're they're pretty tiny um i ever thought about it but i i just assumed that they were smaller because the water's shallower Mm -hmm. i think i think the main thing is that i never remember how big bottlenose dolphins are especially um (laughs) atlantic bottlenose because i spent like the first bottlenose i ever saw was the indo-pacific which is a smaller species and Mm -hmm. has been so much time with legs so it's just when you see an a, a Atlantic bottlenose dolphin, you're like, what is this? <laughs> Why are you 13 Why are feet you long? so large? Yeah. But even at so like all eight... dolphins are like lag size to me. Yeah. And so an eight foot Amazon river dolphin is about the same length vaguely as like a big lag. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, several of the species exhibit some sexual dimorphism, which is unusual in dolphins other than killer whales. Um, so the females are tend to be larger than the males, but especially in their beaks. Um, they all have long beaks, but then the females have even longer beaks. Um, yeah. This next fact, we're not 100% sure because these animals haven't been super well studied, but there's some speculation that... Um, River dolphins tend to have very small hairs on their rostrum or their snout, nose, beak area. Because they're a mammal. Because they're mammals, yeah. (laughs) So often newborn cetaceans, you can see small hairs, but they lose them. And you can tell that they have hair follicles that just don't have hairs coming out of them. But river dolphins actually have small hairs coming out. Then one speculative thought for why this is, is that they help with their tactile sense, like whiskers on a cat, um, to help with their poor eyesight. It could also be not necessarily poor eyesight, like their eyesight might be totally fine, but the river waters are much murkier than ocean waters most of the time. So um, especially like when they flood, then all that dirt is in the water. (laughs) Uh, Another cool thing is they have flexible necks like belugas and very little blubber. Which isn't surprising because they live in warm rivers, um, mm-hmm. not just like like a warm river is going to be a lot warmer even than the adjacent ocean um, for most of the year. Just as a side note, I feel like when both I typed that and when you said it, there's a part of me that wants to turn any time that we mention like belugas in a podcast episode into a very bad drinking game because we don't do it that often enough, but it's often it's like, enough that I'm like, drink! Like once every couple episodes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, they also have well-developed hearing that's good at hearing in both air and water, um, which... I guess makes sense if they're in such shallow water, they're probably spending more of the time at or above the surface than oceanic dolphins. Um, And yeah, this also helps because they can't always rely on their vision since they're swimming in muddy water. Lindsay, do you want to talk about some more similarities? Yeah. So in comparison to oceanic dolphins, river dolphins are much slower swimmers, which again also makes sense if you think about the amounts that they need to travel, even though the Amazon can be quite large as well as also other rivers. Um, so river dolphins travel at about 14 miles an hour or 23 kilometers an hour and oceanic, oceanic dolphins can travel at speeds up to 35 miles an hour or 56 kilometers an hour. They're also 
significantly less acrobatic than oceanic dolphins and rarely, if ever, leap out of the water. Again, probably because their water is so shallow. Um, mm-hmm. And then they might land on a tree because... <laughs> <laughs> but also, they don't have the depth to get... They don't have the depth up. to get the height, so yeah. they also don't need it. And if they have... So they're significantly less acrobatic and their dives are also short, usually less than a minute. Um, by virtue of living in a river and not the ocean, these river dolphins... River dolphins are not widely distributed. They are all restricted to certain rivers or deltas, um, again, because they can't go over the waterfalls, even though that makes them a Lisa Frank poster. Um, This also makes them extremely vulnerable to habitat destruction, which is the sad part of this story. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a lot of these reasons, a lot of the other reasons Nicole talked about, they're very poorly understood in North American studies and um, by Western standards. So if you think about all the information we have about oceanic dolphins, especially bottlenose and killer whales, um, animals, species that have been studied for over 50 years now, these ones, what do you think about just the basic facts and stuff like that? We don't have those kinds of facts about these animals just because they're just not being studied. Um, and so that is a problem to help the, one of the reasons why they are so vulnerable because we don't know enough about them to help. One of, again, as we've talked about the calls to action of studying animals in non-English speaking or non-Western cultures by Western speaking and English and English, sorry, by Western English speaking scientists so that they can share that with the rest of the Western English speaking researchers and also working with researchers who are not from Western cultures and don't speak English and everybody work together to save the world, please. Thank you. Got it. (laughs) The end. The end. So let's talk about some of the notable differences between our not at all related, who knows how many species there actually are, river dolphins. Let's start with the obvious one. The Amazon river dolphin is pink. Yay! (laughs) And not just like a light, rosy, off-white pink. It is pink. I am sure Lindsay will be sharing many, many pictures on our socials after this episode comes out. Have a look for yourself or Google it right now. They are very, very, very pink some of the time. Because I got to tell you, it must suck to be the Bodo that is not pink. And there are (laughs) actually lots of them. It just seems to be a random, a random trait, just like hair color is. um, Because there are also blue and gray and off-white Amazon river dolphins. That's so boring. (laughs) No, and so you just gotta think that, like, Francesca over there, when she comes through in her bright pink flippers, everybody else is like, oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. So some of them, some of the Bodos are pink. And that is pretty much the most notable difference amongst all of them. Um, Some of the other really interesting facts that I found about various species of river dolphin, the Ganges and Indus river dolphins, which you'll notice that many of my facts about them are for both of them, because as stated before, they are subspecies of the South Asian river (laughs) dolphin, and I don't know why they are classified as two different species, because almost every research article you can find about them lists everything about both of them being the same. Anyways, okay, tangent aside. They are not pink. However, (laughs) they are very blue. Like, really, really, really blue. Um, And also sometimes brown. (laughs) It's not that, again, just like the Amazon River Dolphin, it's not that they change color. It is that just like hair color, some are born blue and some are born brown. But the blue is also really quite striking and beautiful. The Ganges and Indus River dolphins also swim sideways. <laughs> so their tails do go sideways and they're clearly not trying hard enough to jump out of the water. I don't understand, but their tails are still... No, but they swim on their side. They're yes. not. Yeah, okay. they swim on their, their, their tails side. don't go the other way. Okay, but that doesn't help. You can't jump out starting on your side. Nobody They're can do that. They're not trying hard enough. <laughs> That's what I no, mean. Maybe we just haven't seen it. But yes, they are frequently spotted swimming on their sides. And as we talked about when we've spoken about gray whales, it seems to be sidedness that, you know, when they have been able, again, it's pretty rare to do a longitudinal study where they've been able to track individuals. Um, but from anecdotal evidence, it seems that individual 
Ganges and Indus River dolphins prefer either to swim on their right side or their left side. And they will do that for whole afternoons and evenings. Um, and it doesn't have, at least again, from what I could gather, it doesn't have anything to do with the depth of the water. It's not that they only swim on their sides when it's very, very shallow in their habitat. It just seems to be, you know, something they can do and so they do it which is always how I answer the question like why do dolphins jump because they can mm -hmm. so why do South Asian river dolphins swim on their sides because they can I think spending the afternoon swimming on your side down a river sounds nice yeah <laughs> it does. Sign me sounds up. pretty great <laughs> I got really into the Ganges and Indus River Dolphins, uh, as you can tell, listeners. They also look really cool. I know they're not pink, but they do have the most distinct beak of, uh, let's just say, any cetacean. So not even just within the river dolphins, although river dolphins are probably the most notable beaks in the cetacean world. And so then the Ganges and Indus River Dolphins really take the cake here because their beak can be one-fifth the length of their body. That's insane. Really, really long really, really skinny, except right at the tip where it gets kind of thick and and wide again. Huge conical shaped teeth coming out. I mean, huge relative to body size. It's not like they're like actually huge, um, but really distinct teeth coming out jaggedly, very similar to an alligator or a crocodile out of their beak. And then also because of the way that these particular South Asian river dolphins spy hop and stick their head out of the water. Um, I have a picture in one of my textbooks that I will send to Lindsay to put up on social, but you also might be able to find, because this is an illustrated picture and Lindsay you might be able to find an actual picture. Mm. Um, they look like crocodiles when they're spy hopping. Okay, so there is a crocodile in South Asia called the gharial, which Again, from if you're backlit and you're looking at a spy hopping crocodile versus a spy hopping South Asian river dolphin, can't tell the difference. It's really cool. I mean, you probably could, but they look really similar and it's awesome. Uh, a couple of the other interesting facts I found about the Franciscana or the La Plata river dolphin is that they also get a really big upgrade. <laughs> Sorry, they also get a really serious upgrade size-wise with their beaks uh, as they grow. They kind when you look at a calf, a La Plata River Dolphin calf, its beak looks not dissimilar in proportion size to a bottlenose dolphin's beak or rostrum. So it's large, but it's not river dolphin large. And then as they grow, actually, we probably should have said this about all river dolphins, their beaks grow continuously throughout their whole lives, similar uh -huh. to a narwhal's tusk. So as the La Plata river dolphin grows, its bottlenose proportioned sized beak turns into a like really, really, again, long pronounced river dolphin sized beak compared to body size as they grow up. And that's pretty cool. But my final notable difference, which is just going to go full circle into the fact I don't effing understand river dolphins, is that the Franciscana river dolphin, which is from every account you can find anywhere in a textbook or the internet, classified as a quote unquote true river dolphin, yeah, it doesn't live in rivers. <laughs> at all. At all, at all, at all, at all, at all. <laughs> they inhabit marine waters sometimes brackish, but nothing truly freshwater. And so clearly they don't live in rivers. And they are only called river dolphins. Again, it, it does have something, it does have some evolutionary aspect because mm. they are closely related to the Amazon river dolphin. Um, and the first ever described specimen of the La Plata river dolphin was found at the mouth of the La Plata river in Uruguay. That's a dumb reason. It's like false false killer whales all over again. It is. So La Plata's are currently ranging from southern, uh, sorry, south, southeastern Brazil to Argentina, all in coastal marine water. I don't understand. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Except not the end, because then to make things... Even more confusing, there's a whole bunch of other species of oceanic dolphins that actually spend more or even all of their time in brackish or freshwater. So if you're wondering why we haven't mentioned your favorite 
freshwater dolphin, uh, like the Takuxi, the Irrawaddy, the Australian stubfin dolphin, the finless porpoise. They porpoises are not aren't dolphins. Well, yes, porpoises are dolphins, but all the other ones are not technically, although I don't know who decides this technically, um, technically river dolphins. They are oceanic dolphins that spend time in brackish or freshwater, especially like the Takuxi lives all the time in the river and the mm-hmm. Franciscana lives all the time in the ocean. I'm sure it has something to do with evolution. Um, so we're just going to leave it as we're doing these true river dolphins this episode. And then we'll do another episode sometime in the future about all these misclassified or confusingly classified dolphins. And also we'll throw finless porpoises in there because they're cool. They are cool. Yes. Um, plus, I do want to come back and dive deeper into the true river dolphins because they are awesome. So let's just think of this episode as an appetizer sampler slash aka Nicole goes crazy into the nomenclature of river dolphins and gets mad. <laughs> um, well, so there's one last thing about river dolphins and that's they've been around for a really, really long time. Um, Isthmina panamensis is an extinct genus of river dolphin living 5.8 to 6.1 million years ago. Its fossils were discovered near Pina in Panama. Uh, So that's pretty cool. Um, And also kind of makes sense if we were, if it was 6.1 million years ago and we found the fossils and, you know, all of these kinds of things that were, we're making taxonomic classifications in the 1800s when nobody was talking to anybody else. And they're like, well, this one lives in a river sure i live in brazil and i've only seen a dolphin in the ocean once and also this dolphin that lives in the river that's how i'm gonna just decide Uh, you know (laughs) it does make sense it just bothers my brain now i know and they haven't (laughs) fixed it but also there are other things to fix that's true so wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world where this is the biggest what problem. we've gotten around to fixing because <laughs> yeah. we're at this level of problem solving. Yeah. Well, because, you know, because also, like, this is why Latin names exist and they were supposed to solve all of these problems. <laughs> but none of us no. pronounce them. <laughs> no. Oh, goodness. Um, <sighs> so one last thing we wanted to talk about for river dolphins in particular, uh, we kind of touched on it a bit, but conservation and protection of river dolphins is really different than other cetaceans because you can't like as a river dolphin that lives in one river or one river system they can't just move away from industrialization and human impacts like they are completely impacted by things like um shipping up rivers damming for hydro uh pollution all that stuff so we wanted to throw out one shout out but there's tons of um i'm sure local organizations as well doing really great work but um wwf is always a great place to start when you're looking for what um sort of is happening conservation wise um so we've got a link in the show notes about their freshwater river dolphin initiative uh which is really cool it's about like um reducing threats but also Um, increasing things that um, support so like reducing pollution and bycatch and illegal fishing by supporting sustainable fishing not just reducing illegal like oh Mm -hmm. just reduce your illegal fishing well how Um, and converting hydro power to solar solar power to um, keep rivers from getting even more fragmented which is a huge problem it like limits their um, the dolphins ability to move and find food and find habitat and find mates and stuff um so yeah, so there's a link in the show notes for this. It's uh, it's a really great thing. And yeah, hopefully you find that interesting. Absolutely. And then we can save the river dolphins, save the world. <laughs> thank you. And speaking of thank yous, we want to take a moment to thank all of our patrons who support us on Patreon. We really and truly couldn't do this without you. So thank you, patrons. Yay. Yes. Patreon is a site where you, for as little as a dollar a month, can support creators like us uh to do the work that they do and in exchange you get some fun rewards that Lindsay will tell you about yeah so we right now we have three different tiers of rewards based on the amount that you are able to give per month we have one that's a dollar a month and you get a merch discount and you get a newsletter from us every week and you also get to vote in some of our fun flipper fact polls for upcoming episodes um and then we have a middle one which is five dollars a month and you get all of that stuff plus a bigger merch discount 
And then you get a hand-painted watercolor logo postcard done by our very own Nicole. Um, and then for the $10 one, you get all of that stuff plus a hand-painted humpback watercolor uh, card done by Nicole. Um, and you get to produce a fun flipper fact uh, section of our podcast episode. You get to come up with it all by yourself. Yay! So if you are able to think about becoming a patron of ours, you have our eternal gratitude. And if you're not, we also totally understand. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to just be a fan of Whale Tales. And if you can think of other ways that you can support us, you can leave us a rating on whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on. We love feedbacks. So you can send us an email or a social message to let us know what you think and how we can make the podcast even better. And ultimately, whatever you do, the fact that you're listening, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Indeed. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash whalesales. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Do you guys know what time it is? <laughs> it's time for Fun Flipper Fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun Flipper Fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun Flipper Fact. It's time for Fun Flipper Facts. Yeah! Wow. That got uh, leveled up a little bit. <laughs> I did a little cheerleading dance while you were singing. Oh, thanks. I had to make up for my voice cracking last time because I was sick when we were recording and I listened <laughs> to that episode and it made me cringe. So there we go. Today's Fun Flipper Fact is produced by new whale level patron supporter, Colin. Yay. Yay. Thanks, Colin. Thank you, Colin. So Colin asks, what cetaceans are known to interact commonly with each other for mutual benefit? So what we're looking at here is cetacean interspecies mutualism because colin specifically asked for mutual benefit uh to dig into this fun fluffer fact we had to look at examples where both of the species who are interacting with each other get a benefit from the relationship and as it turns out colin and other listeners there are not a lot of at least studied examples of mutualism amongst different cetacean species the three of us kind of put our heads together and all of us are aware of a lot of just kind of, oh, these species are commonly seen together mm -hmm. examples. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're interacting in any way. They just have overlapping territory and are seen at the same times in, in the same place, you know, just like a squirrel and a daisy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the weirdest example. <laughs> I was going to say, like, a squirrel and a raccoon, maybe. Yep. <laughs> or a gray squirrel and a black squirrel. Yeah, those are much more, more appropriate. <laughs> like, how our porpoises and dolls porpoises are often together. Kind all of, like, of those better than what my brain... Yeah. <laughs> all of those squirrel better than what my brain daisy. came up with. Good lord. <laughs> Anyways. So there's lots of examples of that where species are seen at the same time as each other uh, and around each other, but they're not what we would call interacting with each other. Similarly, um, you know, each of us are kind of aware of at least anecdotal evidence. And there's also some really good research into what would be called a parasitic relationship. So usually when we think of parasites, we think of, you know, like alien or, or other true examples of parasitism where internal parasites. Yeah, mm -hmm. the less pleasant kind. Mm -hmm. But the definition of a parasitic relationship is basically just two species interacting with each other where one is benefiting from that relationship and the other is not. So there's quite a lot of examples of that happening with cetaceans. Um, most close to home. I remember hearing a researcher here in BC talk about the quote unquote parasitic relationship between Pacific white-sided dolphins and resident orcas. Because as we all know, residents are the fish eating or particularly the salmon eating orcas along our coast. And it should come as no surprise that lags also like to eat salmon or just anything because they are great <laughs> and not picky, which is why they are doing okay. But lags can be prey for bigs, killer whales, the marine mammal-eating orcas along our coast. And so I'm off shooting here for a second, but it's a really cool example of a parasitic relationship. And I think Colin will enjoy it. Hopefully our listeners do too. Because bigs, killer whales, and resident killer whales, although having overlapping territory, are never seen at the same time. Nope. 
<laughs> Lots of animals are able to differentiate between bigs and residents, and the legs kind of take this a step further, and they actually antagonize residents and kind of bully them and hang out with them and mob them and steal their food all under the guise of, hey, if I'm with these residents, it means there's no bigs around and so I also won't get eaten. So I get food and I don't get eaten. Win-win for the legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I've never for the seen... Whales. Yeah, it's true. I've never seen that happen personally, but that would be the dream. <laughs> yeah. Someday. Someday. Uh, can you guys think of any other offhand examples of just, you know, interactions between species of cetaceans that you know exist well, but that aren't well studied? There's a lot of species, I don't know about the studies, but there's a lot of species of dolphins that are often seen together, probably just because there's a big bait ball of fish around. You know, like when we were in Hawaii, we saw three different species of dolphins at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah, like all feeding on the same. All feeding on the same. Like if there's a big bait ball somewhere, then mm-hmm. there's, and so that's not mutualism and it's not parasitic. There's just like, they're just all together. But, you know, there's like fish big fish fish species there as well everything that feeds on that herring is going to be there and they just interact because their habitats overlap yeah yeah it's so yeah it didn't don't... seem it didn't seem like a um it was just like an interaction or an overlap mm-hmm. rather than an yeah. actual relationship yeah. yeah it's not a relationship yeah. so that's yeah. those are the things that i can think of same uh with the two different porpoise species um mm-hmm. you know time will tell because they are mating and producing offspring that mm-hmm. seem to be viable so maybe the dolls harper porpoise hybrids are the porpoises that are going to rise up and take over <laughs> and so that will be a mutualistic relationship eventually but mm. i yeah. don't know because i can't see into the future if i could have seen into the future um <laughs> this year would have been different so true yeah true even in researching for this episode on river dolphins, I found a lot of examples of the Tukuksi, not true river dolphin, but again, <laughs> the Tukuksi and the Amazon river dolphins frequently being spotted together. Mm-hmm. But again, to the point of there's not a lot known about those species, at least that I could find. Um, I couldn't find anything about like, are they just seen together or are they actively socializing together or working together in a coordinated hunt no idea mm-hmm. so to answer your question Colin, we're not going to leave you high and dry here i did manage to find one pretty amazing studied example of true mutualism amongst cetacean species and it is between the bottlenose dolphin and the false killer whale this study was done in New Zealand, and it is it's actually just a fascinating study because it's a 17-year-long study into false killer whales, which are actually a poorly studied cetacean mm-hmm. in and of themselves. So the fact that there is such a longitudinal study done and published, and you can find the whole article, really, really cool, in our show notes, is just in and of itself really great. But one of the things that these researchers in New Zealand found was that the false killer whales are developing relationships with bottlenose dolphins and they are sight and individual uh, fidelity relationships. So what that means is it's happening in the same place because the false killer whales that were tracked as part of the study traveled over 650 kilometers. So like a big range. Um, and they meet up with their bottlenose buddies, so it's site-specific and it's individual-specific, so the same false killer whale and the same bottlenose dolphin meeting up in the same place and sometimes traveling together for over five years. Oh my god, it's a Disney movie. (laughs) So great. Um, And again, although this is all extrapolated, the researchers were able to identify sort of three main mutualistic benefits for both species here. The first would be social. They do seem to be interacting with each other, clearly interacting with each other without prey or or predators. So without a predation element or a prey element being in effect. So they're just having fun singing Disney songs together. So that's the first, whatever, whatever each species is getting from that relationship, an element of socialization is a part of it. And then the other two are the more that you would expect. So the predator prey relationship. So they seem to help each other hunt 
And then they also help each other avoid predation. Now, not actively. There weren't any recorded examples of, you know, like defensive. We've we've heard of bottlenose dolphins attacking sharks and protecting other species, even in very rare cases, protecting humans. Again, this is my shout out. Don't expect a <laughs> dolphin to rescue you. Unless you are in a Disney movie. <laughs> Um, so there's no active defense. However, it's that sort of age old, like the more eyes, the more eyes there are looking out for potential predators. So they've definitely been seen to actively avoid predation as a group together. So we have uh, some links to those articles in the show notes. It's really, really cool. The pictures are also really awesome. And I love false killer whales and I love bottlenose dolphins and I love Disney movies. So let's make one. Okay. <laughs> if only it was that easy. Right? At least we can thank Colin for sending us down that road because that was a lovely, heartwarming thing to learn. Thank you, Aww, Colin, friends. for being a patron and yes. for asking us that fact. Dolphin Thank friends. Um, we're going to go back to River Dolphins now for a second. And for our whale tale, this is our first ever River Dolphin story. Very exciting. Uh, if you have seen a river dolphin, please tell us because that sounds amazing. Um, if you've seen any kind of dolphin, please tell us. We love dolphins. Uh, Could you tell? So this is a story uh, from our friend Val from 2010, and she's going to tell it to us now. Just an amazing, beautiful story about some, uh, she calls them pink dolphins, but they are the Amazon or river dolphin or the boto. Hi everybody, my name is Val. Uh, I'm really happy to be here in the Whale Tales podcast again with my friends. Um, they asked me to share one of uh, my most precious experiences um, that I had um, with a pink dolphin. And uh, yeah, just to sum it up, um, back in 2010, I was on a senior trip in high school. We went to the Amazon River um, in Brazil. And um, one of the days we had the opportunity between two activities we had to pick if we wanted to do canopy or if we wanted to go kayaking. And because I'm so scared of um, you know, the heights and I would never do that. I was like, I'm just going to go kayaking. Um, as much as you would think that animals are out and about all the time in the Amazon, that is not true. They're hiding all the time. So I hadn't really seen many, many things other than a lot of bugs, a lot of different insects, but, uh, in terms of like mammals or, you know, sea life, it was really nothing. And, you know, the water is very, murky so it's not clear you can't see much um and after you know kayaking you know we had been there for like half an hour and before actually seeing them the first thing i noticed was the the sounds of them breathing um i could hear the puffing and i was like whoa wait a minute what is that because it was very close it was very very close and um the guides told us oh that's probably some uh pink dolphin swimming around and I turn to my right and I look and I see um, a couple of pink dolphins just like coming out and breathing. And I remember I was shocked because, I mean, I knew they were pink, but I wasn't expecting it to be so vivid and so, so pretty, such a nice shade of pink. Um, and they just kind of, it was very quiet and they just swam along us, um, you know, for a couple of miles and... Uh, and then they just kind of went down and disappeared as if nothing had happened. Um, and to this day, I remember that because it was also sunset. Um, and it was one of the most precious experiences I've ever experienced. I'm so jealous. Oh, it's so I think good. I'm so jealous. So yeah. awesome. Thanks, Val. Yeah. Thanks, Val. So as we wrap up our episode today, it is almost Halloween. We are excited for however we're going to be celebrating that this year. And as we've talked about kind of all year, this is just a weird year. Uh, and with the holidays starting or ongoing in North America, at least, because in Canada, we've already had Thanksgiving. Uh, the Thanksgiving in the United States is coming up. There's lots of other holidays for lots of other cultures coming up. Um, it's also really tense because there is a very 
big election happening in North America, and particularly the United States, uh, in a couple of weeks. And so we decided to have a short and sweet call to action for our episode, which is just to be a good person <laughs> and um, follow the golden rule, which is to treat others as you wish to be treated. There is a lot of hate and a lot of fear out in the world, and it's really, really hard to exist right now. And it is, you know, personally, it's hard to be raising a child right now and to think about talking to him about the world and how to be good um, and to inspire hope and goodness in that next generation. And so we in our house, we just focus on, you know, being kind and being brave and asking questions and putting kindness out into the world. I really really believe is the most important thing that we can do. And so for today's episode, that's what we wanted to leave you with is just, you know, be a good person and put kindness out even if you're not getting kindness back. Um, and if you have not yet, if you're living in the States, there is still time. Please do go vote. Um, yeah. Or if you're living somewhere else and there's an election. Yes, I was also going to say yeah, that. It's great. Um, <laughs> the election Vote. in DC just ended. So thank you to everyone who voted there. I know they just had an election in New Zealand. Um, so everybody who votes, thank you for voting. So I think that that brings us to the end of our episode. We hope that you have enjoyed our appetizer sampler of Amazon and other river dolphins today, as well as our Super fun and heartwarming fun flipper fact brought to us by Colin. We would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and any of our episodes. So please visit our website, whale-tales.org, and find links to our various social media handles so that you can drop us a line. You can also tweet at us directly. I am FHG07. Sarah is Sarah K. Given with no H. And Nicole is Nick F. Can, C-A-N-N. Uh, you can head to our website to subscribe to our podcast, check out our merchandise, learn about supporting us, and learn more about becoming a patron. And while you're there, don't forget, you can read over 900 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. That's whale-tales.org. Tales like the stories, not tales like the animal. And of course, if you've seen a cetacean of any kind, we would love to add your story to our library. Click the share link on our site, contact us on social media, whaletales.org, or email us a voice memo and tell us all about your incredible encounter like Val did. Thank you again for listening and for supporting us. We will be back on the last Wednesday of next month with more fun facts and whale trivia. Thanks, everybody. And as always, have a whaley great day.